Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. On Christmas Eve, I released a podcast episode comparing and contrasting the way that my alma mater, Baylor University, and Penn State University had handled very significant scandals and issues of governance and compliance that uh, had happened at the universities. I have to say that at the time I recorded that podcast, I really felt that it wouldn't be six months later that Baylor University was still in what can best be described as a holding pattern. However, there was some interesting news this week prompted me to want to speak a little bit and kind of update on the process. The uh, new news is that there is perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel. That light could well be a new president for the university. Dr. Linda Livingstone, a distinguished dean and professor who has spent time at Baylor in the past, Pepperdine University, and most recently George Washington University, comes with a excellent pedigree and tremendous reputation. But she also comes into an organization that by all and outside observers has not been transparent and has not dealt sufficiently with the compliance and ethics and governance issues that were uncovered during their investigation. They have also not sufficiently dealt with the problems, significant problems that were related by third parties and others about that investigation. But what I'd like to talk about today is how this all really is important and perhaps a teaching moment for many of us in the compliance field and many of you who listen, particularly those of you who are responsible for compliance for private organizations. There are, I think, three important lessons that I want to focus on today that we've learned so far and that Baylor University ought to have learned to this point, but it's not entirely clear that the leadership at the Board of Regents level has learned this yet. The first is, focusing again on that element of being a private organization, I think traditionally there was this notion that if you were a private organization, if you weren't a state school or a publicly traded company, that the same rules, basic rules of governance, transparency, compliance and ethics don't apply to you. You know, it may not be as blunt as that, but I think there has generally in the past been this notion that you can use your privacy as a shield. Well, what's been going on and continues to happen to Baylor University ought to be a wake-up call, not only to Baylor, but other private organizations that that is not necessarily the case. Because particularly after you get to be a certain size, you can't use your private structure as a shield as effectively as maybe you thought. For example, Baylor University, at its core, a lot of these allegations have to do with Title IX. And we all know that although Baylor University and several other private universities have huge endowments and the like, there are federal funds, federal funding through various programs, including financial aid, that bring Baylor into the ambit of Title IX and many other regulations. 
this kind of traditional notion that by being a private organization, either in the education field or, or in any industry, that somehow you are absolved of a lot of these rules and regulations and laws is simply unfounded and impractical as you move forward. Using the notion that you're a private organization as a shield, I think, is something that should be going by the wayside. Uh, it should for practical reasons, too. And that leads me to my second point. Reputation risk can come for us all. Reputation risk doesn't stop at the door of a private organization, doesn't only affect publicly traded companies that can, you know, for instance, lose a lot of their shareholder value over a reputational issue. Reputational issues can be dogged, and they don't go away overnight, and you can't ignore them. I think that should be the lesson that the regents at Baylor University have learned over the last year. I was certainly, again, six months ago, almost six months ago, when I recorded the, the first podcast about this issue, I would have thought that by now the message would have sunk in, but apparently it has not. The reputation risk to the, to the school continues to grow. There have been estimates by outside groups that the reputation costs the loss of donations from alums, for, for example, lost opportunity costs, are in the tens of millions of dollars. Those figures may or may not be completely accurate, but it's certainly true that there has been a significant loss of reputation. And that affects not only recruitment of students and faculty and other valuable staff, it just diminishes the organization overall. And reputation and the risk associated with it is a compliance issue. It is a governance issue. And you don't fix it by simply hunkering down and, and hoping that it blows over. That's the crisis management style of maybe years past uh, that just doesn't work in today's world with social media and podcasting, for example, and everything else that goes with it. The focus on the issues of transparency of governance, of compliance, and, and an ethical culture at the organization won't simply go away because they're not being addressed. That's not the case anymore. And that reputational risk hangs around the neck of the organization like a millstone. The third area that I wanted to talk about is, I think, the area that's getting the most attention and is probably the most important, and that's simple transparency. So much of what has happened in the last couple of years is very ugly. And it's naturally information that the university was, and, and I think unfortunately continues to be reticent to discuss in an open manner. But that doesn't make the ugliness go away simply by not discussing it. That is, again, a tactic that doesn't work. Transparency, transparency of the investigation, and, and perhaps in this case, I think that the the reality is, is that there may need to be a there, there. There is a necessity, perhaps, for another investigation that, from its origins and beginnings, is a transparent investigation, because the current, currently cited investigation is done, and perhaps the ability for that process to be transparent is sunk. These things never were addressed appropriately, and you can't again just move on and hope that the hue and cry will go away. It's not. Several outside organizations and several uh, powerful outside alums, alums that are much more powerful than this, this little podcaster in Austin, Texas, are not going to uh, stop speaking on this issue. Transparency is so vitally important so that everyone involved can be comfortable 
that the organization has taken these things seriously, has addressed control and structural changes that need to happen in the organization, including leadership changes. And it is, is absolutely necessarily necessary to quell any outside questions that the university hasn't acted properly and hasn't fully investigated all of the issues. Right now, they just can't say that. The materials that they have to release from the current investigation, the commentary that they can release from, from, the, current, from the prior investigation, the current investigation that exists, is just not sufficient. And there's not anything they can do about that. There really is little the regions can do outside of commissioning an investigation, as I suggested a few months back, similar to the investigation that Penn State did, a completely independent investigation that's not just released only to the to the Board of Regents and to the university, but released publicly so that all of the stakeholders involved can be comfortable that these issues have been fully investigated, that the recommendations are clear and open to everyone. So as I said, I think these three things, the, the importance of transparency, the fact that even as a private organization, you can't use that status as a shield anymore. It's just not effective. And that reputation risk can affect everyone and is not something that is easily easily redirected. These are all things that I think we, we as compliance officers and compliance officers within organizations, particularly private organizations, where some of these preconceived notions might still exist, it can be used as an object lesson, and I think it's an important one. And Baylor's certainly not the only private organization that's gone through this, and the only private organization that's had to be more regimented and, and kind of, for lack of a better term, apply some maturity to, to their program, apply some maturity to the governance of the organization, to the compliance organization, to working on the culture, the ethical culture of the organization from the top down. Because clearly, certainly in this case, there, there were the top, some very senior officials that were already let go, and, and perhaps some very senior officials that were involved. And we just don't know because we don't have complete transparency on the investigation. But as I said at the beginning, I think there's some potential light at the end of the tunnel. And for this last minute or two, I'm going to direct a sort of a personal appeal to Dr. Livingstone. You're coming into a very difficult situation, but you're an accomplished, accomplished professional. And you have the opportunity to really remake this organization in a positive way, or at least have the influence, I think, to insist that the Board of Regents give you and others the authority to do that. I think there are three things that need to happen. One is an ongoing thing that I think that you've been effective at in uh, every organization you've been in the past, and that's communicating the important messages and setting the tone for the organization. I, I have no doubt that you can accomplish that. The other two are a little bit more difficult, and I hope that you can get it done. If you can, you will be the hero that the Baylor University and all of us, all of us that uh, love the institution would love to see. The second and, and probably most important pressing thing right now is establishing transparency, working towards transparency, guiding the Board of Regents and the organization towards transparency. And the big component of that is a truly independent and and transparent investigation and report that is released to 
the public to the stakeholders of the organization, including alums, students, the public. That has to happen. It just can't not happen. Nobody is satisfied with the results of the investigation. The Board of Regents have stated they are, but I can't believe that they that this result that has happened over the last year is satisfying to any of them. They are accomplished people. They're not bad folks. They're not evil. All of us understand that. They're in a difficult situation too, but the, the choices that have been made up to this point are insufficient and they have, they're professionals, they have to recognize that. So the second piece, this transparency piece is necessary for the healing of the organization, Dr. Livingstone. It has to happen and it has to happen in an open manner, including a full vetting of what's gone on. And then the third thing is being a change agent as much as you possibly can. A change agent for the direction of the Board of Regents and their governance system, their, their, their processes, transparency at the board level. Being a change agent throughout the executive leadership of the organization. Uh, be a change agent for a more robust and integral compliance program. Uh, one of the things I noted in the last time I, last time I discussed my university a few months ago in a podcast is there wasn't a chief ethics and compliance officer up until all of this happened. There needs to be fundamental change, new blood at, at the executive level, new blood throughout the organization, new systems in place, embedding compliance, focusing on a ethical culture throughout the organization, making the compliance program a, a responsibility for everyone at the, at the university, everybody on staff, all of the faculty, Everybody at the university has a role to play with compliance, just at any, as with any organization. And everybody in that role, as an owner of the program, has to be comfortable that they can come forward, that the organization is going to be transparent about things. Otherwise, they're just not going to do it. We know this. We know this from social science and surveys and investigations that we've done in the compliance sector for the last couple decades, that you can't have a closed system like this and expect people to come forward to avoid the next issue because that's the other thing that underlies this. What happened was horrible. There needs to be a reckoning for what happened and there has been some progress, but the progress is incomplete. So that's certainly an important part of the job. But another equally important part of the job is to ensure that it doesn't happen again, that these issues are caught before they become so extraordinarily damaging, not just to only to the institution, but to the poor victims and individuals involved. This sort of thing and other compliance failures have to be avoided as much as possible. And to do that, you have to develop a system and you have to develop a culture where everybody has ownership. So those are the three things. First and foremost, be strong. <laughs> Dr. Livingstone, be strong. I know your history shows us that you can. Uh, I have a lot of hope, like a lot of alums. I, I, I tried to be hopeful about the future. And I know that there are better days to come, not only for the institution, but for, for everyone, students and faculty and, and members of the community in Waco and, and, and around the world, that there are better days to come. And, and I hope that this is the light 
at the end of the tunnel and not the oncoming train. <laughs> I don't think it is. I, I think I, I, have, I have great hope for the future. There are lessons to be learned for compliance officers and people interested in culture and transparency here. Important lessons. And we'll continue to watch with eager anticipation because Baylor could be a model for coming back from the edge, so to speak, from, from a, a damaging issue like this. It really could be the model. And that would be amazing, not only for the institution, but for all of us to have an object lesson, not only of failures that we can show the negative case to, to our, to our constituencies, but of the solutions. So let's work on the solutions. I, I think that there's lots of work to be done, but I'm hopeful. And I know a lot of the, a lot, a lot of other Baylor alums and people who care about the university and who care about compliance are, 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 are hopeful for that too. So until next time, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com. 